You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. But nevertheless, they are not perfectly sinless, but they are true. True to God, true to God's word. Think about it. When everyone else was conforming to that lie, right? They are blameless and beyond reproach. Hey, listen, our prayer should regularly be, God help us to follow in their footsteps. And listen, let me tell you something. If these guys were able to do that, then we should be able to do it as well. Life during the tribulation period will be terribly difficult and painful for those who've professed faith in God who are left on earth. There will be greater persecution, more rejection, and greater suffering than believers experience on earth now. Yet, as Pastor Mike teaches today, they will stand firm. They'll be true to God and His Word and will not forsake God. They won't conform to the incredibly godless and vile world they're living in and will live beyond reproach. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 14 as he continues his message, The Lamb's Redeemed. Throughout the tribulation, this group of people refused to take part in those idolatries and fornications of the masses, and think about this, who presently are worshiping the Antichrist. Think about all of what's going on, when all of a sudden there's this 144,000 that remain faithful unto God. So therefore, this may all be about a people that's marked by separation and cleanness of heart. So that's what it may be describing. That's what it may be referring to. And then let's go back to our text now. We're not finished with that first vision. Notice there in verse 4, we are told that they are redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and the Lamb. Now that brings us to our third point. Being Jews, the 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of each tribe, right? They are the first fruits of Israel. So that brings us to our third point this morning, and that is the first fruits of Israel. That is the first fruits of Israel to be saved. But folks, there's more to come. There's going to be a greater harvest of Jews during the seven years of tribulation. Now let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Zechariah, let's go back to Zechariah. And again, he has the last days in view. In chapter 12, in verse 10, what does it say there? 
In those days, notice it's up here on the screen, I will pour out on the house of David. Who's the house of David? It's Israel. And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Who's living in Jerusalem? The Jews. The spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me, whom they have pierced, referring to Christ. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a a firstborn. Okay, so you see that? So no longer at that moment when the scales are removed from before their eyes, no longer will they refer to their God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they will bow down and worship and acknowledge Christ as the second person of the Godhead, as God Almighty. What a day that's going to be for the Jews, right? Remember that God isn't finished with what he had promised to do amongst his people, Israel. And many of those promises will come to fruition during the seven years of tribulation. Okay, but let's talk about some of the 144,000's additional qualities. Let's go back to our text, verse 5. And in their mouths was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The idea, as I mentioned before, without fault, they are beyond reproach. But notice here in verse 5, and their mouth was found no deceit. In other words, they were truthful. And isn't this one of the major characteristics of being a Christian? That we are truthful in the things that we say, but more importantly, in the things that we do. Now think about this. The tribulation period in which they live is especially a time of deceit and falsehood. Because remember, we were told in one of our previous studies that the Antichrist will come in the power of Satan with lying wonders. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verse 9. Write that down and check that out just in case you forgot. We've already covered this before. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verse 9. And there we are told, let me say it again, the Antichrist will come in the power of Satan with lying wonders. Let me give you another cross-reference from 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 in verse 11. We are told there that the multitude shall believe a lie. So in other words, they will come, the population of the entire earth, will come under a strong delusion which will lead them to embracing the Antichrist as their savior. But we shouldn't be surprised by this because Satan is depicted for us in the scriptures as a liar. He's the father of lies. And so it is not that this 144,000 are perfectly sinless. That would be absolutely impossible because we're told that there was only one without sin, without blemish, without spot, right? who is Jesus himself. So it's not that these 144,000, although they're recommended to us here, it would serve us well to try to follow in their footsteps. They're a great example for us to follow. But nevertheless, they are not perfectly sinless, but they are true. True to God, true to God's word. Think about it. When everyone else was conforming to that lie, right? They are blameless and beyond reproach. Hey, listen, our prayer should regularly be, God, help us 
to follow in their footsteps. And listen, let me tell you something. If these guys were able to do that, then we should be able to do it as well. Because think about how much more difficult it would have been for them, right, not to conform, to live a blameless life beyond reproach when you consider everything that's going on during the seven years of tribulation. Right? Think about that. It seems like every time I teach out of the book of Revelation, and, and uh, inevitably, every time that I've taught it, you know, when someone who is resisting, you know, making a full-on decision for Jesus Christ, you know, someone would inevitably come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Mike, I know that what you're saying is absolutely true, as I'm reading and teaching out of the book of Revelation. And you know what? There's just some things that I'm not ready to give up yet. But I know that Christianity is true, and I know that what you're telling me is true. But listen, Pastor Mike, when these things begin to come to pass, then I'm going to make that decision. And then I'm going to get serious about my relationship with Christ. And here's the question. How in the world, think about this, how in the world, right, are you going to live for Christ, then make that decision when you're not going to be able to buy or sell, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you're considered an enemy of the government and put to death. How in the world are you going to make, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. You're not going to be able to feed them unless you take the mark of the beast. And if you take the mark of the beast, all is lost. It's at that point you can't even make a decision for Christ. So if you can't live for Christ now, think about it. When the times in which we live, yes, it's difficult, but certainly a lot more conducive than during the seven years of tribulation. How are you going to die for him then? Think about that, right? And uh, so it's just another excuse that people offer, right? So anyway, every one of us can follow in these 144,000 uh, footsteps. Okay, now that brings us to the next vision, and that is our fourth point. It's found in verses 6 and 7. If you're taking count, this is the second of the three. This is a lot shorter than the first one. And that is our fourth point, God's angelic preacher. And I like this. But you know what? If you come to think of it, this puts me out of a job. So I don't know if I like this or not. But in verses 6 and 7, but it's okay because I'm not going to be here anyway. But in verses 6 and 7, again, under the heading and point, God's angelic preacher, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying, so this is the second vision that was given to John, in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. What's the everlasting gospel? The same gospel I'm preaching to you hasn't changed, right? Because God hasn't changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, although this gospel that he's preaching has been tweaked just a little bit, and I'll talk to you some in a moment about that, and, uh, and how he went about doing it, saying, so this is the message, with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Can you imagine? This angel is flying, just one angel, flying, and everyone throughout the world, every person that's alive, uh, geographically speaking, wherever you are, hears the voice of this angel proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Can you imagine? You'd think that would have been enough right there for people to just fall down and cry out in repentance to God, right? You would think that that in and of itself would be enough. Well, anyway, 
saying with a loud voice, fear God. Notice the difference between the message that he shares and the message that I often share with you from across this pulpit week in and week out. There's a couple of things that are missing. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, I'll come back to that. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and springs of water. Okay, so this messenger, this angel here, notice, is extremely effective, to say the least. His pulpit is beyond the reach of the Antichrist. The Antichrist can't touch him, can't get near him. And he will herald God's message throughout the earth. And again, I find it absolutely amazing Think about this. If the devil could silence every preacher, close every church, persecute, you know, multitudes of Christians, if the devil could silence us from ever hearing the gospel uh, preached by a minister, there would always be a witness and an opportunity to come to God. How faithful God is. And so in the tribulation, the wickedness of men and women upon the face of the earth at this time, the power of Satan, all of which necessitates a change in the divine method of preaching the gospel. There's no churches. Any true pastor now is in heaven, right? He's been raptured. The church is already in heaven. So all of these things necessitate a change in the divine method of preaching the gospel. Now, notice the angel's message, and and I want you to notice the difference between his message and the message that you hear regularly from across this pulpit. At least I hope you hear it. First of all, it's the same everlasting gospel, but that's where this, well, there's still similarities, but the everlasting gospel. But notice, there's nothing mentioned about grace. There's nothing mentioned about a blood atonement. There's nothing mentioned about redemption or forgiveness. Should we read it one more time? Go back to verse 7. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So there's nothing mentioned about grace, blood, redemption, or forgiveness. The message of this angel is God is sovereign and happiness comes to those who recognize God's sovereign right over them and over all the earth. In other words, he's stating Christ's claim to be worshipped. If you think about it, it's sort of like last call for repentance. Last call. But today, praise God, He woos men and women by the Holy Spirit on the grounds of Christ's death. It's salvation by grace through the operation of faith. But then, during this time, he summons men by an angel to recognize and reverence him as the creator and the sustainer of the universe. But also notice as a part of this message, the warning to those who will not receive Christ of their swift, and sure, condemnation, and their eternal loss. 
Again, it's God's last call. It's no flowery presentation. It's kind of in your face. It's not watered down, you know, kind of a message. Now, that brings us to our third and our final vision. Let's go back to verse 8. And another angel, so this is the third vision that was given John, followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so here is the announcement of the final overthrow of this false and seductive world religious system that will exist during the seven years of tribulation, really described for us in chapter 17, that we haven't even gotten to yet. Remember, I mentioned this is a a parenthetical verse of Scripture, and it doesn't follow a chronological order. Christ has already come back again, right? Okay, so it's not following any kind of a chronological order here. Now that brings us to our fifth and our final point, and that is spiritual Babylon. And again, we'll really get into this uh, in, uh, when we move into chapter uh, 17. Now, I want you to think about the way that this is recommended to us here, Babylon. The first Babylon was a city that was founded by a God-defying rebel whose name was Nimrod. And it grew into the first Gentile world power that oppressed the nations. But it was also a stronghold of pride and idolatry and false religion. All false religions, by the way, can be traced right back in their inception to the city of Babylon. And so here, notice, her fall is announced. You see this religious system, the super church that will exist during the seven years of tribulation, it's corrupt that had an intoxicating effect on the masses. In fact, let me give you a quick preview. Quickly turn with me. I wasn't thinking about doing this, but quickly turn with me to chapter 17. I just want to share a portion of of a verse with you. Notice in chapter 17, in verse 2, the latter part of verse 2, describing the effect that the super church, uh, false super church, that exists during the seven years of tribulation, has upon its masses. What does it say? And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, I got to tell you something, and I'm not mentioning any names, and I'm not thinking about any one particular church or religious organization, so don't misunderstand where I'm going with this, although there's been a lot written about this subject. But you know, I've gone to churches, before I was a, a real Christian, before I was born again, I've attended churches where there are a lot of extra-biblical activities going on that appeal to your emotions and have a huge effect upon your emotions. And you leave those services thinking that you've had an encounter with the true and the living God. But the truth of the matter is you haven't had an encounter at all with the true and the living God. You know, things like incense and chanting and and other things. You fill in the blank. You probably know what I'm getting at, right? And you leave from those kinds of services. It it could even be, you know, some of the contemporary churches that are going on today. It's like you're attending. And I'm not putting it down because there's, you know, like, I, I, man, I tell you something. Greg Laurie's church. 
And I'm not just saying this because, you know, Greg and I have a history together, and, you know, we're an outreach of his church. But, man, let me tell you something. Greg has some great worship. And it's not to say we don't have great worship. We do. But, man, you know, you, you watch Greg online. And you need to supplement during the week your Bible study by tuning into Greg. It's harvest.org. That's all you need to know. Very similar to harvestnyc.org, our, our website. And just watch, you know, his services. But the beginning of the services, the worship is like unbelievable. And he's got more than a share of great musicians and songwriters who are members of his staff. So I'm not putting, you know, great worship down. But you know what? You can go to some churches today and really the only thing that you've experienced was a concert. Because after the great music and the great worship, there's no teaching of the word of God, you know. And, uh, but you think that you've had this great encounter with God. And uh, because during that time of worship, you've lifted up your hands and the tears were flowing and the hallelujahs were rising and, and you just leave. But it had an intoxicating effect upon you. And that's exactly what's going to happen to the masses during this super church's existence during the seven years of, of tribulation, as is recorded there for us in chapter 17. So anyway, her fall is announced. This religious system, this super church that's corrupt, that had an intoxicating effect upon the masses, it has aligned itself with the political powers of the world at this time. Her unholy alliance with the Antichrist and the devil, that's her fornication. Hey, listen, anything that seduces one's affections away from Jesus, you can be sure, will be the object of God's wrath. Okay, now, one last thing. Going back to the Lamb's redeemed, a couple of questions. Do you have your father's name written on your forehead? That's an important question. Identifying you as a true worshiper of God that marks your life and how you live your life. Do you follow Jesus wherever he goes? That is, do you practice separation? Do you follow after truth, God's truth? Are your actions beyond reproach? All of the things that marked the 144,000. So let me ask you again. Are you one of the lambs redeemed? Hey, listen, gang. You can be. How? Simply by faith in the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And it's through Him you can experience redemption. It's through Him you can experience forgiveness. And you too can begin to write your own song of salvation today. It all begins with Jesus Christ and your accepted Him. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.